pep, pep, bla, 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 bla. Hello, and welcome to See One, Do One, Teach One, the podcast dedicated to becoming a better medical educator. With me, Pick Mukherjee. And Tom Pereira. This is the one on presentations where Pick tells us he hates pizza. We start with Dr. Michael Quinn. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm on PGY1. Thank you for having me, guys. So for me, I think my kind of ideal patient presentation isn't necessarily a presentation per se, but it's more of a story that I try and kind of like read what is the attending thinking right now and how can I present this to kind of answer all of their questions without actually having to ask me. I'd almost call it like a story where I'm just taking the attending along, uh, kind of summarizing exactly like what happened with this patient, what did I see, what are the pertinent positives and negatives, and pepper them in and kind of just summarize into what do I think is going on, what do I want to do. So I had this patient come in. They were actually just in the ED a couple of days ago for a same complaint. They came in for vertigo-like symptoms. And like a lot of patients that come in with vertigo, uh, they had a difficult time explaining exactly what they were feeling, just didn't feel right. It, was it actually dizziness or lightheadedness? Was it positional or not? It was it was very difficult to get out of this patient exactly what was going on. But because of, you know, she was a young lady, uh, she didn't necessarily have any like past medical history. The needle is more pointed towards you know, more of a peripheral cause and a central cause of the vertigo. So when I was going over with the attending and presenting this patient, I made sure to, you know, include all the pertinent positives and negatives that kind of get us on the same page of I'm thinking peripheral rather than central, not wanting to scan this patient. But after my presentation, the attending took a second and said, okay, but did you think about a brain aneurysm? I'm thinking, uh, no. Like, there was no headache. There was no reason to think that she had anything, like, acutely happening. Uh, She didn't, like, describe any, like, neck pain. But because they brought it up, I had to go back in and ask, do you have a family history of, like, brain aneurysm? And lo and behold, they did. Uh, So we got the CAT scan regardless and no aneurysm. So I think really the take-home for me after that was sometimes, like, you think you have the perfect slam-dunk presentation, but something will come out of left field and maybe it'll come back to bite you. So Dr. Quinn comes out of that with the idea that there is no perfect presentation. And he may be right, sort of the Kobayashi Maru of emergency medicine. But I've always believed that an imperfect presentation is the perfect opportunity to teach about how to present one of the skills that we all need to know. Absolutely, I agree. There's no perfect presentation, but we can all agree that there are a lot of really, really bad ones. Uh, Tom, what is on the top of your list of no-nos? Please don't do this to me. Well, probably because of my attention deficits, the thing that drives me nuts is when they start, they give an age, uh, and then they go into 20 different past medical histories before finally telling me that the person is here because they tripped, fell, and hurt their knee. So 76-year-old, diabetic, hypertensive, cardiovascular disease, four PEs, uh, and raises monkeys before they tell me what I should be thinking about. Absolutely. You might have stolen my number one pet peeve. Um, I think it ties into my number two pet peeve, uh, which is when I get a Uh, presentation that begins with the chief complaint from the triage note and no other HPI. I just saw, and this happened to me just a minute ago, uh, the lady in 13, she's here for syncope, she's this old, uh, these are her vitals, this is her blood pressure, this is her EKG, she could probably go to OBS if her labs are okay because she hasn't had an echo. And I'm like, wait a minute, 
You tell me that the history is 80% of the diagnosis, and you didn't give me one. You gave me the chief complaint, but there was no HPI, and it's the same problem that you have with your alphabet soup of a history before the chief complaint. I don't know what was important about that uh, without that piece of information. Um, so yeah, I think these are very related, and I will absolutely stop you and make you uh, give me some more information before you continue. And I feel bad about it, because I feel like we tend to interrupt residents too soon, just like we interrupt patients too soon. I do think that we interrupt the presentations uh, too much. Sometimes I interrupt because I have a great teaching point and I don't want to forget it before the presentation is done. But sometimes I have to admit that I find it necessary to interrupt. For me, the necessary interrupt is when they're telling a story, a 24-year-old who has a headache, uh, and all of a sudden they come out with worst headache of your life, or any of the other key phrases in emergency medicine that make all of our hair stand up on end. So when you hear worst headache of life, if the next three things are about their neck, and they're vomiting, and their neuro exam, then I think you know where they're headed. Uh, but if the next thing is about their nasal congestion and the amount of Sudafed they took, then maybe you want to sort of go, whoa, 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 are we even on the same pathway here? Right. I like to know, I mean, if they're telling a great story, I'm going to let them tell it. But if when they said worst headache of their life, if they're going to use those words, I'm, I'm going to have to ask about onset. I'm going to have to ask about the other pieces of subarachnoid, uh, which I think are important so that both of us can at least get onto the same page. Great. So if the perfect presentation is an argument for I'm going to explain to you why I think it is this and not the other thing and lay it all out for you, uh, then that argument is being made. And if they told you that uh, it was the worst headache of life, just like the last nine presentations to the ED that were exactly like this that is a different argument they're making, and you're going to let them go because they're, they're creating a pathway you're following. So, so pick what if, and I know it's a big what if, what if they do come out with the perfect presentation? If they start talking and when they're finished, when I ask what do you think and what, you're gonna, what are you going to do, I know exactly what they're going to say because that's how clearly it was laid out, and I'm going to nod and say nothing else, then that is a perfect presentation. So how and, do you teach? And then I say what if. I, I, then I, that's a good place for, and what if this patient was HIV positive, 90 years old, had a blood pressure that was 10 points lower, heart rate 20 points higher. There is a lot of ways to make that a very uh, sort of easy ER visit. I saw the shingles, and it is shingles, into a very interesting applicable to future visits. Uh, what if that patient was on immunosuppressive therapy? Go. I like it. Uh, I, I use the what if techniques all the time when I'm seeing the fifth back pain of the day because I want them to learn from every case. Uh, for me, if I get a perfect presentation, I think that there is an opportunity to praise. We are not very good at taking the opportunity to say, okay, you did that presentation incredibly well because you hit this point and this point and this point. So if you were to praise like that, I think that you would already be fixing five things. One, you said, we don't praise enough. We tend to give negative feedback more than positive feedback. Two, we're not very specific. We don't tell you what you did that was good or bad. Uh, and, and if you praise more often than you give negative feedback, people tend to hear it better because you only remember the patients who died. You, only remember, you don't remember the patients who did well. Uh, so if, if you did that uh, at least as often as you gave uh, negative feedback, uh, you'd be doing a great job.
Okay, uh, and uh, that sort of feedback uh, brings us to today's article. So today's article uh, is by H. Bell. It is the encouragement giving heart to our learners in a company-based education model. It is in Family Medicine, February 2007. And I know it has a horrible title, but the reason we're doing it is we hate the sandwich. Ah, oh, the feedback sandwich. And, and Pick, the, I think you hate the pizza. So the shit sandwich, yeah, I've heard of that one, and it's horrendous. I have never heard of the feedback pizza. Whoa. Right, it basically a, gives you one layer. So you give the feedback, and then you tell them they're okay and good people otherwise. So your, your feedback is sitting on top of the bread like a pizza. So in this model, the shitty part is the pepperoni, and the bread is the happy? happy. This is the worst... My, this is, it's not even a, it's an open-faced shit sandwich. Uh, okay. This is so, no better. So we think all food should not be a feedback model. And instead, this article introduces us to the idea of SFEDs. Pick, tell us what that is. So SFED uh, stands for self-assessment, feedback or fact, encouragement and direction. And it is the mnemonic that the uh, Zucker, Northwell, Hofstra people enjoy teaching. Uh, and uh, I use it and I... Hate mnemonics, but I think that this one actually works. All right, just walk us through what all those letters really mean. Sure. Uh, if you don't remember the letters, that's great. Uh, but basically it's, hey, how'd you do? How'd that go for you? Self-assess, right? If they think that they are a rock star and you watch them almost kill a guy, you have to catch that immediately. Uh, the F, the fact, that's the objective feedback. I saw this. You did this. Not, don't be a jerk. Not, you're an asshole. Uh, but uh, this is what I saw. You've got to make it as objective and factual as possible. Then there's a, so what do you think of this? And you get to encourage, which is, I think that we can make this better. This is the buy-in part. It's not the huggy-feely, give heart to learners, family medicine. It's getting so people this is on not, board. So this is not the bread. This is uh, not, you're a wonderful person. Exactly. This is not, you're a wonderful person. This is, I noticed a thing... Are you on board with making the thing better? Because I think we could do that. Okay. And D? And D, even people who give good feedback often miss the D. This is the direction. So that's the coaching. That's the plan. That's the, we're all on board for making thing X better. But instead of go out and sin no more or for God's sake, read something, you give them an actual thing to do and then a time way to check on it and see if it actually got better. So this is nicely described in the article. It allows for an evidence-based method of giving feedback. So check it out. So Tom, what today is your not a thing? Well, it's not a thing today uh, has to do with LPs. I had a nurse when I was an intern, Hildegard, who told me that the key thing that you need to do is lay them down flat afterwards and don't let them move for 30 minutes. Wow, that's a good one. Well, that ain't a thing, because we all know that uh, immobilization after the procedure makes no difference at all. Sure, and my Uncle Olaf actually told me that if I was taught to put the patient off flat on their back and not moving, it was actually better to flip them on their tummy so the liquids didn't bubble out their back. And that's how they had to stay for 30 Yeah, that's, that's totally ridiculous. So, so <laughs> what... What are the it's not a thing around an LP? So we do know that size matters. And I know you want to make the joke, and I know you're holding it back, but size of the needle changes the amount of leak. With practice, I'm able to hold it back for quite a while, Tom. It is absolutely true uh, that in this case, the size of the hole 
matters. But I also think that for a long time, people told me if you take too much fluid, that'll uh, make the, the headache come. Uh, if you uh, sit them up too quickly, the brain will um, shift around and have traction on the fibers. If you uh, leave the needle in a long time, it's just sucking the liquid down and pulling the brain through the straw of the foramen magnum. Right, so, so we know that none of those things ever made any difference at all. Uh, giving a liter of fluid didn't make any difference. Giving caffeine during the LP didn't make a difference, although I'm sure the person doing the LP would like some caffeine before they do it. Uh, otherwise, didn't really make a difference. So we've got, we've got size of the hole matters. What else matters? Size of the matters. Well, I was always told that the plane of the needle matters. Right, and that, that has been shown... Uh, that the bevel needs to be splitting the ligaments, no, no, not cutting the ligaments. Parting the waters. Parting, parting the waters. Splitting okay. sounds terribly uh, aggressive and will lead to headaches. And the one that drives me nuts above everything else is put the needle back in before withdrawing the stylet. So isn't that because if I again leave the stylet out on the withdrawal, I will create vacuum suction pressure and all sorts of little fibers will get sucked through the hole. So, so I heard a neurologist tell me the whole thing about microfibers that go into the needle, and unless you push the needle back in, the microfibers stay in the hole and it has a persistent leak. Uh, I had not seen that again for many years and assumed it was completely made up, uh, but I just read it again on Rebel EM, so maybe it is a thing. So, so you read it somewhere once? So it must be true. Well, that's how most of my practice works. But apparently the fibers need to be pushed out by the stylet. There, it's not the suction straw uh, that I was taught, that it's the hollow needle that's causing the, the vacuum. That's enough well, for it's not a thing today. One of those is definitely not a thing. Okay, so that's a nice discussion, uh, which brings us to try this today. You're going to be a, a great teacher. Uh, what is it that we got to try today? I got one. Uh, my try this today is let them talk. We all make a big deal about taking a history from the patient and doctors interrupt them between 7 and 17 seconds in and then you never get the same history that you would have. So when they're presenting, let them talk. Don't interrupt. Don't redirect. Just give them 30 seconds a minute to dig their hole uh, so you know that that's the direction they're actually going. All right. And my try this today is tell them what they're doing right. Take something that someone you're working with uh, has done very well and just point it out and praise it and move on. I love it. Catch them doing something right and deliver that positive, specific, do this every time, feedback. Great. So go out there and make better doctors. That's right. Go out there and make doctors better. I feel